Father, we want to commit this uh, time to you. And uh, Lord, I, I'm guessing there's so much going around our minds and hearts and our brains and uh, stuff we've already got to process. That's the nature of these types of uh, days that we spend together where there's so much happening. Uh, Lord, I pray though that for each one of us it'll be different things, but I pray that this session will be really beneficial and really helpful. And Lord, we'll just help kind of uh, sow some things into our lives, kind of confirm some, some things, give us some real tools, Lord, as we go away and begin to wrap some, wrap some words around this mission, Lord. And so, yeah, we pray for a really good session today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, let me first of all say a massive warm welcome to you. My name's Mark Greenwood. I'm the National Evangelist for Ealing, which means um, I head up evangelism. It's a great job description. The word evangelist means one who brings good news. So nationally, I'm paid to bring good news. So that's not a bad gig, is it? And um, if I'm rubbish... Um, don't tell me I've got nothing else to offer. Uh, this, is, this is all I've got. Just treat me nicely and ask for your money back at the door on the way out. Okay, so that's the first thing. A warm welcome to you all. Thanks for coming along. And also, secondly, um, on, on behalf of all, address to the wonderful team here that have been hosting us. Thank you to our friend at the back. Big round of applause, please. Just making sure. I have to say... Um, I've spent 34 years, I think now, traveling around the UK. Uh, three days before I was 18, I started, I'm 52. If you do the sums, because I got unclassified in my maths. Um, not good when an evangelist can't count. <laughs> I can, they can multiply, absolutely, by huge numbers as well, can't they? It's like if you have an evangelist, how many were at the event? It depends who was asking. Okay, if it's the prayer partners, there were 3,000. It's the fire brigade, there were just under 100. All right. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me mention a couple of uh, resources to you to, uh, to help you with the words to our mission. And um, I'll explain. I'm gonna t I am going to take a few minutes to explain them uh, just because um, I'm, not, I'm not here to to sort of sell my books, I'm here to equip. And so, all that said, you're not having them for free. <laughs> just hashtag clarifying, do you know what I mean? Um, but um, just a, a little explanation about the books, because they, they represent, um, in, in lots and lots of ways, where we believe God has set our sail in evangelism as a movement. I work for the REACH department, which is a department, but it's not Reach's vision, it's, it's Elam's vision. And I'm going to set today's framework and, and, and what we're talking about against the backdrop of our national evangelism vision. So I want to unpack that a little bit for you, give you some pointers to where, as to where you can go to explore that more, because that all informs the words that we, we wrap around our mission. So that's, that's a little bit of where we're going. So let me mention, an, a, a, first of all, uh, this book, Big Yes, Little Yes, Healthy Maybe, A New Framework for Evangelism. Um, I'm going to be really bold, and I'm not normally like this with my resources, but I, I am with this because I actually genuinely believe God has given me something um, to help the UK church reach those living in the UK with the gospel. Uh, there's lots of books on evangelism. Many of them have been written by um, American people, predominantly in America. And it's not that we can't learn anything, but how many of you know uh, the UK is a different, a different place, isn't it? It's different. It's not one single culture. It's made up of cultures, and and not only racially, but actually socially, in uh, in terms of belief systems, etc., etc. It's a uh, excitingly diverse and dynamic culture, the UK, and I personally love. Uh, living in it. So how do we reach the, uh, the UK audience with this life-transforming message? And I want to say to you, don't believe a word that the media tells you. People are still meeting Christ. If I had chance, I could, I could fill this in many hours with stories of people meeting Christ from all walks of, of life. So uh, take it from me, God is on the move. 
But what I think we need to understand, and I'm sure actually most of you will agree with this statement, for the vast majority of people, when it comes to becoming a Christian, it's some kind of journey. Would you agree with that? I've never met in the 30 odd years that I've been an evangelist, I've never met somebody who's gone to bed an atheist and woke up wanting to be a Christian. I'm not saying they're not there, I'm just saying I haven't met them. And you would have thought with the 30 odd thousand miles that I travel across the UK, you'd think I'd meet them, right? But what I have met is lots of people who've gone some kind of a journey. And so this book, Big Yes, Little Yes, Healthy Maybe, isn't a system or a strategy per se, although it, it, it is, but it, its origination is, is more along the lines of a, a, a language that helps us to understand and inform the journey that happens, and as such, how we can activate that. So I genuinely uh, believe God spoke to me for years. I've, I've held intention. The, the thing that I don't want to hold back from giving people an opportunity to become a Christian, but neither do I want to not value those who are not ready to receive Christ yet, but aren't saying no. And back in the day when I started as an angry young evangelist, you know, where my passion got the better of me, you know, and um, I remember preaching and saying rather embarrassingly now when I look back, how many of you know you grow up? You do, don't you? And you just realise that it's not quite as clear as you once thought it was. So I'd, I'd stand up and I'd say, if you're not saying yes to God, you're saying no. <laughs> I throw that in for a bit of added dynamic. Okay. I cringe now because I met so many people who might not be saying yes, but they're definitely not saying no. Does that make sense? And so, oh Lord, how do we not hold back for those people for who, it, for who it is their moment to say that big yes to God to becoming a, a Christian? But how do we help those and celebrate those? So I do things like I'd get really nice booklets for people who've said yes to God. And then I'd say, so I'd make a big thing, you know, come forward, we've got a really nice pack for you, we'd love to give you, got somebody to talk to, to help you understand the decision that you've just made. And then I'd say something like, but for those of you who are who maybe just interested, speak to the friend that brought you. And it's, it's like, we're not really bothered about you. Does that make, it's not where we're at, I don't believe for one minute that we felt that, but can you see how sometimes it can come across because we're not valuing. And that's where the big yes, little yes, healthy maybe language. I felt God birth it in me because I carried this tension. So for us in Elim, our national evangelism vision. Um, got a slide. <laughs> I better use it. Okay. This is, this is our national evangelism vision. And um, I'll, I'll mention these books within the context of that. So Big Yes, Little Yes, Healthy Maybe resembles, not resembles, represents, forgive me, the journey by which a person comes to faith. So for an atheist, philosophically, if not theologically, the biggest decision they might ever make in their life is to consider that there could be a God. It's the biggest decision they'll ever make. Not theologically, but you understand what I mean. And, and, and actually, we would, we would be a little bit discouraged by that often in our evangelism. They haven't become Christians. But actually, they've gone from believing there, could, from believing there isn't to there could be. And we, that's what I call the healthy maybe. Moving somebody along to, to become open-minded, but not passively open-minded. Openly actively open-minded. Does that make sense? The big yes is about those moments of making a decision to become a Christian, not holding back from that. Little yes is about creating moments and opportunities for people to make an intentional decision to find out more. So to help you quantify that, something like running an alpha course where people can come and, and investigate. And in fact, you know what? I felt an, an even bigger stirring in my heart, even in the past few months, about how we as, Christ, as Christians, but Elamites, can create space in our churches where people can actually explore the Christian faith. 
I, I really feel that's a, a critical, critical part. Uh, and then healthy may be, as I say, creating uh, space for people to become open-minded. So the big yes, look, yes, healthy may be represents the, the journey by which a person comes to faith. What informs that, okay, is our relevant words, our caring actions, and the power of the Spirit. Those are all ways that we can um, help people engage with the words that are around our mission, if that makes sense. And even if that doesn't make sense, that's what they're for, okay? So I think I want to encourage you, try and get yourself resourced up. Try and get yourself more and more in the place where you can get better at articulating words. Even with answering trick questions, the number one way we get into expressing the words of our mission is when somebody asks us a question. And yet it's the one thing most of us are most fearful of and probably the worst at. It's not a good business model, is it? So I want to encourage you to really get going because do you know what? There is honestly a whole bunch of people out there who want us to talk to them about our faith. And uh, that's my experience. And just by being normal, now for some of you, you'll need to move the Holy Spirit for that to happen. But, but the rest of us, we're all right. Just, just be normal and kind. And I'm, I'm genuinely tripping over people who want to have conversations about the Lord. And it's not, it's not because I'm brilliant at it. I mean, I'm all right. I've been doing it long enough. But it's just because I've chosen to live amongst people that don't know Jesus. And particularly right now, in this moment in our world, there's lots and lots of people that are having a bit of an existential moment where they're thinking about life and thinking about faith. And so we're at a really exciting place. So, the journey. Big yes, little yes, healthy maybe. It represents that journey. Relevant words. We need to be relevant, don't we, in our communication. And that's more than just not using religious words and cliches. That's part of it. But it's about understanding something of where our world is. It's about the stories that we use as well as the language that we use to tell those stories. It's about understanding where the friends that you connect with and communicate with, it's about understanding something of where they are so that you can start them uh, on the gospel journey with where they're at. We'll explore that a little bit more as we go on. But I do want to just say something very quickly on these, on these other two. This stool is, I call it Elim, the Elim stool. <laughs> I'm a little bit immature, all right? But essentially, this represents the journey. Relevant words, caring, action, spirit, empowered, are what support and inform the journey of faith. Does that make sense? So caring actions is about us being kind. And I've, I've deliberately used caveated words rather than just actions. They're caring actions. Because historically, and I think I still see it if I'm honest, I know quite a lot of churches, not, not just in Ealing, but lots of churches, who their um, ethos or theology, if you will, of um, feeding the poor is all about earning the right to preach at them whereas I think that's manipulative I think we feed the poor because it's right to feed the poor do you know what I mean it's what Jesus did it's what human beings should do they should what's it mean to be a human being that we look out for each other and sometimes people outside the church are out human beinging I don't know if that's officially a word but if I say it again with a hashtag it becomes one they're out human beinging, hashtag, it's officially a word. Uh, the church in lots and lots of ways. And so I want to I be kind to people because that's what humans, human beings do. It's what Jesus did. And the truth is, I do not need to earn the right to tell somebody about Jesus. Because Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So wherever you go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Take them everywhere they have commanded you. That's the kind of quicker version. So I think for me, that's what gives us the authority. That's what gives us the power. But of course, our, our words mean nothing if there's no actions. Faith without works is dead. Absolutely. So we, we want to make sure we've got the actions. But let's make sure they're caring. They're driven out of love that they're not agendered, that they're pure and clear. Now, people uh, in the church fall into many different camps. People say, I'm a word and spirit person. 
Other people say, I'm more a word and actions person. I want to be word, actions, spirit. Don't you? We're a Pentecostal denomination. We want to be relevant in our words, caring in our actions, and absolutely saturated by the Spirit's power. And actually, being full of the Spirit means you're more likely to be relevant. Means you're more likely to be caring in your actions because the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, etc., etc., etc. So our national evangelism vision of a movement is we believe 100% in the journey. We believe 100% that we've got to get better with our words, with our mission has words. We've got to get better at that. We've got to make sure we're pure with our caring actions. Pentecostals have been historically weak on doing social action. We've relegated that to the liberal end of the church. And yet if you see the life of Jesus, I love that scripture that says, full of the Holy Spirit, he went around doing good. You know, for Pentecostal church, it's full of the Holy Spirit, they went around shandarabashandaring. Huh? Do you know what I mean? But what about going around doing good? I like that. I don't know how you spell shandarabashandaring. And you just make it up and the Holy Spirit will interpret it for you, all right? So, um, yeah, full of the Spirit's power. We want to see people healed, do we not? We want to see people liberated, set free, do we not? We want to see all of that, don't we? But we need to do it with caring actions. We need to do it with relevant words. And so I would plead for you is let's seek God for all three of those. And understanding that somebody hearing the message and responding a bit is as much the Spirit's power as somebody hearing the message and becoming a Christian. Because if there's one thing I've discovered the longer I've been a Christian, it's this. That the Holy Spirit seems to move more in the small than he does in the big. There are times where we have some big stuff. It's that scripture, isn't it? One degree of glory to another. So that's the kind of the backdrop and the framework, though we are going to focus a little bit now on the relevant words. But I, wanted, I didn't want you to leave here thinking, as a movement, we're just all about the words. We're not. We're all about social action. And that's why we've got a racial justice group going on. That's why we've got um, some really strategic thinking about engaging with social action and racial justice because we believe in all of those things but we've hidden that a little bit. Well, We're shamelessly pulling them out into the fore but not at the expense of something else because we don't, in the church we've done a lot of pendulum swinging down through the years where we want to say in Elim we are unashamedly all about, in our mission, relevant words, caring actions, spirit-empowered. I can say more about that, but I won't. So, big yes, little yes, healthy maybe. We want to see people go on this journey. Well, how do we do it? How on earth do we actually do this? Well, we do it simply by words, actions, spirit, as I've mentioned. Let's look at relevant words. I love this. Um, don't use a big word when a singularly unquirkious and diminutive linguistic expression will satisfactorily accomplish the contemporary necessity. That's not easy to say, I'm telling you. Listen, if you're making notes, you might want to photograph that one. We haven't got, yeah, that's it. We don't, we don't want to hang around while you've written that one down. I absolutely uh, love that. I think it's fantastic. Deuteronomy 31, 12 says, Assemble the people, the men, the women, and the children, and the aliens. That's not little green men with, you know, like things. Uh, living in your town so that they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. If I was to give you a few moments, and I won't because we haven't got time, but if I was to give you a few moments and say, I wonder what words jump out of that verse to you. That was the first verse I was introduced to when I started my evangelism training. Here's my five key words. If you've got other ones, you're not wrong. You're just less right. <laughs> no. It's, it, it's, it, but these are the five that really hit me. Um, assemble. Listen. Learn. Fear. Follow. Okay, if I want to articulate and communicate, if I want to use words to get a message across, 
Now, geographically, we have to assemble people. Okay? But actually, think about just on a one-on-one. Okay? Mentally, you have to assemble people, don't you? You have to get their attention. And so here's a little challenge for you on a personal level. I'm going to ask you a question that's got an extra, like, little bit to it. Um, so you, you can answer it internally in case you're embarrassed by the answer you were too keen to give because you didn't hear the rest of it, okay? So do, I'm going to ask it in two ways. Do your friends know you're a Christian? Number one. Number two, think about your church. Does your community know that you are existing, that you're there? Second bit, is that a good thing? There's a. Sorry. No, please. When you say, does your community know? Do you mean as a new person here? Do you mean your church? Yeah, church community. Yeah, yeah. So, a bit of clarity is the first one is personal. Do your friends know that you're a Christian? And then the second one is the community that your church is surrounded by. Do they know that you exist? Do they know that you're a Christian church? And the second part to that. Is that a good thing? Now, I know that sounds really crazy, but let me explore it, Motti. Okay? Let me explore that with you a little bit. My friend, um, he moved into a new property. And he rang me up and said, Mike, you're going to be so proud of me. I said, oh, why is that? He said, I moved in and I went to introduce myself to my new neighbour. I thought, yeah, that's, that's good, brilliant. Like that little bit of proactive, a little bit of community building. He said, yeah, yeah. Uh, he opened the door and I, let, I told him straight away, I'm a Christian. I thought, okay. <laughs> he said, and then I made him have it. I said, what did you make him have? He said, mate, I gave him the gospel. I said, what do you mean by the gospel? He said, I gave him hell. And I'm thinking, I bet you did. I gave him hell and everything. He knows I'm a Christian. I said, yeah, he does. He certainly knows you're a Christian now. Just not sure that's a good thing. So I think for me, in the communicating of our words, we've got to be careful about the delivery of our words and we've got to make sure we get people's attention but it's got to be a good way of getting people's attention we've got to make sure we keep their attention which brings us on to that second word that people listen I work quite hard in my sessions to try and make it easy for you to listen because I respect your time I respect that you've come to this Session and I want to make it worth your while and I can have some great content but if it's really boring then it's an hour's a long time right but have you ever listened to speakers and you've gone goodness me where I thought it only felt like 10 minutes I could have listened to them all day <laughs> I'm not going to do all day don't worry but that's because you've been gripped isn't it they've got your attention And I think sometimes when we're using words in our evangelism, we have to learn the sensitivity of how much we say. And um, we'll explore that a little bit in a few moments' time. Because it's understanding that it's one thing getting people's attention, it's another thing keeping it. And I think one of the ways we, we can ensure we keep people's attention is let's make sure it's dialogue, not monologue. That's a critical thing, that it's not just all about us giving it large and smashing them with the gospel. I think that's so, so important. So we want to attract people in the right way. We want them to listen. Why? Because we want them to learn about the gospel, but not just about God's plan, our problem, our effort, God's solution, our response. Though That's critical, and we're going to explore that towards the end of the session. But that they need to understand that actually God's more interested in their health than their doctor. God's more interested in their finances than their bank manager. God's more interested in their family than a social worker. 
And I think that's why I love things like Christians Against Poverty, The Lighthouse Group, Cinnamon Network, Redeeming Our Communities, which is one of our strategic partners that we're developing in Elim to help us in our mission and evangelism. There'll be more about that coming out. Watch out for it. We're going to do a whole bunch of films. Because we want to say to people, look, we actually really, really care about your life. And because of that, we want to tell you about Jesus. A friend of mine's guy called Gav Calver, one or two of you may have heard of him. He's the, the, um, the CEO of the Evangelical Alliance. And he said, and I love it, when, when there's this tension between you know, social action and preaching the gospel in words, he said, look, whether you paint your neighbor's fence, then tell them about Jesus. Or tell them about Jesus, then paint the fence. It don't really matter. Just make sure you paint the fence and tell them about Jesus. And I love that, actually, because it's not an either-or. Let's not get up, et up on which one we do first. Whatever seems right to do first, do that, but make sure you always do the others as well. And make sure it's done in the power of the Spirit, which means we've got to be praying about it a whole lot more, isn't it? Moving on. So we want them to listen and learn to fear. The word fear here doesn't mean that they're shaking, but I'm not against that in principle or practice, but it's more about that they're aware of the reality. You fear something because you consider it could be true or that it might become true. That's why people fear something. Bizarrely, 85% of all we worry about never happens. I worry about that, don't you? <laughs> That's what I'm told. But we do fear because we perceive it could actually happen. And I think the word fear here is, is that people perceive that it could actually be true. God could actually be real and then it causes them to respond and to investigate and then um, follow carefully or follow carefully all the words of this law so that opportunity for people to respond in our evangelism so we want to make sure that we're relevant in our words really really important and then caring in our actions I love this Proverbs 327 from the message translation says never walk away from someone who deserves your help your hand is God's hand for that person. It's a lovely way of putting it, isn't it? Absolutely fantastic. Um, let me move on to spirit and power just to kind of round off the stool thing. And then I want to come back to the relevant words because I want to just help you to understand how you can contextually communicate the gospel and, and, and subtle tweaks we need to make with the language we've used. Because if we don't, it articulates a different message because of where our culture's at. Um, but I do want to just mention something about this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's what Jesus did. He was all about relevant words. You will not find a more relevant communicator and speaker than the person of Jesus. Interestingly, the only time he ever started with a text from the Bible was when he was in the temple. When he was out with communicating to everyday people, he started with a story. Just throw that in his little thought. But it is what Jesus did. I'm thinking about getting some new rubber bands done. Do you remember those rubber bands that said, we're Jutta? What would Jesus do? Yeah, I'm going to do a new one. It were Jutta. I think it's got a ring to it, don't you? It were Jutta. <laughs> got to be said like that. It were Jutta, because I'm from up north. <laughs> It's what Jesus did. He was relevant. He was caring and he was full of the powers of the Spirit. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Yeah, that's a great verse. But look also with this one, as I mentioned a few moments ago, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. For me... If somebody's full of the power of the Spirit, yeah, we want to see the gifts of the Spirit. We want to see the fruit, right? We want to see it all. Power gifts, fruit of the Spirit. And a lot about the fruit of the Spirit is about kindness and gentleness. It's about being and doing good, isn't it? For those in front of those who don't know Jesus as well as each other. So that's really important. But the art of good communication is important. I've changed the colour scheme. Because we're talking about something different. That's amazing. Five key words that I mentioned. In communication, let's remember these five key words that we highlighted. Uh, we've looked at assemble, how we need to get the attention. We've looked at the listen, how we need to keep the interest. Um, so we've got to make it interesting 
in our words, the problem with the church, it's changing, but historically, the church has been over here, the world's been over here, and all we've ever done was church. When I first became a Christian in 1982, through door-to-door evangelism, uh, my whole family, we became Christians, went along to the church. This is what Sundays, this is what my week looked like at 12 years old. Sunday morning, there was a special Bible study on before the Sunday morning meeting to go a bit deeper. Sunday morning meeting, we had an all-age Christian service. That basically meant that we did a little five-minute story for the kids at the beginning and then kicked them out, okay? Didn't we, Liz? Okay, okay. And then uh, afternoon, we was free. Evening was an evening meeting. And then after that, it was round to somebody's house um, in the sort of youth group, okay, which went up to about 35 in those days. Youth were very old, okay. Um, so uh, so uh, we did that on Sundays. And then on Tuesdays, it was prayer meeting. Thursdays, it was Bible study. Fridays, it was youth group. And then back to Sunday. I didn't have time to backslide. <laughs> Nor did I have time to spend with anybody that wasn't a Christian <laughs> either. That was the downside of it. I'll let you debate whether that was a good way or not. What I'm saying is, if we spend all our time in church, then there's nothing interesting about my life for people who don't know Jesus. And if I want to be interesting, I've got to have interests. And if all we ever do is go to church and build our life around church, we're not going to be very interesting to people outside the church. So we're going to struggle to be relevant with our words. So our mission is going to limp or is going to rock following the stool analogy. Have you ever sat on stools where the legs have been a bit, a bit different, a different length, they can rock a bit, although the three-legged stool is supposed to sort that, but it still puts it off balance a little bit. So we want to make sure we balance with all of this. It's really, really important. So here's a little question for you. How interesting are you, and therefore your words, when you communicate the gospel to people? How connected? Go, just go away and explore it and think about it. How connected are your words? Because the truth is, like in church, this is dangerous, I love it. In church, the, hear me right on this. In church, you get an eclectic mix of people, right? And the only thing you have in common is Jesus and a bit of a penchant for Ribena and crackers. That's it. And in church, you're brought with people that you wouldn't normally choose to spend your life with. Am I right or am I right? Yeah, it's true, isn't it? But we're kind of, we're forced into this community. And it's not wrong, it's fine, because actually you should never just choose to live your life with people that are the same as you. That's extreme, and we've got some cultural factions going on in our words. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't. But what I'm saying is, when you be with people that are your friends, there's a more natural synergy, isn't there? With people that don't, don't know Jesus. And so actually... You, you can have more in common with them and therefore you have common interests and therefore you can be more interesting and you do things together because that's what you do. And I find it strange when people, when people, when people who are Christians struggle to... Inv- so I do a, an evening called Curry Comedy and Christianity. Okay, Let me explain what that evening involves. It involves curry. <laughs> curry... Oh, have you been to one? <laughs> Comedy and Christianity. I feel like that's brought clarity to proceedings, hasn't it? So we have a really nice curry. Okay, I've got like a bit of a comedy routine and that kind of weaves a bit of Christianity in. It's a really relaxed evening. And people want to invite their friends, but they stress out about it. And I say, well, would you stress out? Would you, do a, would you have a five-week prayer strategy to invite your friend for a Starbucks? You, you won't, would you? Why? Because it's, it's normal, isn't it? And I think sometimes when we invite our friends to an event, the reason we struggle is because we've not done anything else with them. My friends invite me to things, and I go with them. And when I invite them to things, they come with me. Most of my friends have been to hear me speak. It's a really weird one, inviting people to hear you speak. It sort of has a touch of arrogance, doesn't it? 
hey, would you not prefer your night with me speaking? But they've all been. But I do stuff with them. And I think we've got to get just a little bit more normal and interesting and natural and have a lot more synergy with people that don't know Jesus because actually that will inform our words which will make it more contextual. We'll understand their life's journey and what they're going through and what their, what their struggles are with Christianity. So I think we've got to work on the interest. Now also it means that we have to listen to them as well as them listening to us. That's critical and crucial. Okay, why? Because we want them to learn those things that I call the spiritual concern that I mentioned early. And we want them to see that this is real, so let's make sure we tell our story and show that our faith affects our life in our words and in our deeds. Those are critical. Why? Because we want people to come to a very real opportunity to respond. So everything that we do in terms of communication, in terms of the words to our mission, is based on attention and interest. Why? Because that's great communication. Now, a very, very spiritual person came to me and said, Surely, Mark, all we do is based on prayer. And I said, sure up. I hope you're praying. You know, yeah, of course it's based on prayer. But in terms of how we communicate, we need to make sure I've got the attention and the interest before we go through. And the problem is so often in our words, we get straight to the gospel. We get straight, and, and when we do share it, it's a bit religious. Does that make sense? So let's work hard on delivery as well as content. That's so, so crucial. It's content is what we say I read this many many years ago I love it it said a foreign visitor asked a London cabbie to explain the rules of cricket you'll understand why I'm reading this the following explanation was offered cricket you have two sides one out in the field and one in each man that's in the side that's in goes out and when he's out he comes in and the next man goes in until he's out when they are all out, the side that's out comes in and the side that's been in goes out and tries to get those coming in out. Sometimes you get men still in and therefore not out. When both sides have been in and out, including the not outs, that's the end of the game. Now that is a very, very accurate description of cricket if you already know what cricket is. Does that make sense? If you haven't got a clue what cricket is, I would suggest it's not helped. <laughs> And so often in our content, we assume a knowledge that just isn't there. We have to be aware, I'm sure you will painfully and sadly agree, that the awareness, even in the last five or ten years, of anything to do with Christianity has just diminished at an alarming rate, has it not? And that's why I think we need to understand that in terms of big yes, little yes, healthy maybe, I think we need to predominate a lot more of our mission and evangelism in the healthy maybe. I think we have to get to that stage where we're getting people to think, well, maybe there's something in this. And when we get those opportunities to communicate, yes, we might have let them have it, but so often we're so focused on getting the content across that we've not delivered it really well. A few years ago, I was watching a Six Nations match. For those of you who don't know, it's one of the main rugby tournaments, actually in the world, even though it's just the home nations plus Italy and France. It's seen as a bit of a tournament. And um, I, I love it. I'm a big rugby, league, uh, big rugby union fan. It's my favourite time of the year. Always happens around my birthday. I get a bottle of Cherry Pepsi Max and a bag of Midget Gems. And I'm as happy as anything. Okay, and that's, that's my favourite sweet, by the way. Although I've been told we can't call them Midget Gems anymore. So I don't know what we're supposed to call them. Vertically challenged gems? I don't know. But anyway, that's what we're supposed to call them. Okay, so get this, get this bag of midget gems, bottle of cherry, Pepsi Max. I'm happy. And my wife said to me one day, when, when, when the match is finished, can you put these plants in? I said, yeah, of course I can, absolutely no problem. She went out at halftime. I thought, I'm going to whack them in now. So I got these 10 plants. I got these 10 plants and whacked them in. And uh, she came back about halfway through the second half. And she said, oh, I don't suppose you've had a chance to put any of the plants in. I said, love, let me stop you there. <laughs> no, I think if you go out and have a little look, I think you'll find they're all in love. Ah, oh, thank you. She went out, had a little look. She was back in very quickly. She did that thing where wives look at husbands and strip you to the bone. And my normal response is, whoa! And she said, come out. 
She grabbed me by the hand. I felt like about nine. I did the walk of shame. And she looked at me, she said, look at that. I said, oh, it's flexible for when it's windy. <laughs> that didn't go down too well, apparently. And she went round all of them, and then she dealt me the killer line. And I had no comeback, which is rare, but I had no comeback. She said, you were so keen to plant them all, you didn't plant any. I know, you can feel the tension, can't you? I mean, what do you do in those moments? Let's just wait on the Lord, love, shall we show her an interpretation of, of that message. That's what you do in those moments. Break into, he touched me, extended time of worship. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that she forgets. She didn't. But I think sometimes in our evangelism, we can be so... So keen to plant the gospel, right? I've said that, 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 that actually we planted nothing. And we treat permanent relationships like they're passing relationships in the way that we use our words. Now, there are times when you don't know if you're ever going to meet somebody that I would argue there's appropriate moments to just get it all out there. Okay, I get that. But for most of our relational uh, situations let's journey with people and not feel we've got to get the gospel over in one fell swoop somebody said yeah but what if they walk after you meeting and get hit by a bus I said to be honest with you if you've just hit them with the gospel that many times they probably are likely to get hit by a bus because they're dazed as they walk out into the middle of the road so let's make sure we plant things really 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 well so what is it that we are planting what is our content God's plan we want to talk about God's plan. Let's start with some good news. Don't start with some bad news. And can I urge you, please avoid debates about evolution versus creation at this point. I'm a Bible-believing, literal six-day creationist. But I've made the mistake of focusing on the Big Bang versus creation. I want to get to Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and loosely subscribe to six-day creation, you shall be saved. Okay, you don't find that anywhere, not even in the message translation do you find that. And if you can't find it there, you won't find it anywhere. So I want to just make sure that I'm, I'm not creating unnecessary hurdles for conversation. So I talk about the fact that God has a wonderful plan for humanity, for human beings. And I do have debates about creation, evolution. I'm not shy of those. But it's not for the main type of sharing these words. Let's talk about God's original plan. When I talk about our problem, I talk about we have a problem. That is that we've chosen to live life our way and not according to God's plan. We've lived life according to our plan, not according to God's plan. I don't talk, I don't use the word sin. I wish I could get rid of the use of the word sin, but unfortunately it's littered. But sin isn't a biblical word. It's a medieval word that refers to an archer trying to get the bull's eye on an archery board and missing the bull's eye. And it was an illustration, a picture, a, a, a story, a concept that they used in medieval times to let people know that sin was about missing the mark. Well, I've not come across too many archers these days, but we're still using the words. And it's got really bonkers because we feel if we don't say that word, we've somehow not, used, not communicated the gospel. But actually by using the word, because the person hears something different in their mind, they put a different application, a different understanding. So actually we've miscommunicated, not communicated. Now, if you've got to use religious words because you twitch unless you use them, then here's my little top tip for you. Explain the concept, use the word. Don't use the word, then explain the concept. Because the minute you use the word, people project onto that their own understanding of that word. Whereas if you invert it, explain the concept, and then say something like, oh, and in church you'll sometimes hear a word sin that we use to explain that. Does that make sense? So if you have to use it, then use it, but be wise how you use it. So God's plan, our problem. The funny thing is, I've just given an illustration about my wife and she sent me a text. That's spooky, isn't it? How does she know? Anybody texted her? Liz, 
<laughs> Our effort. Okay. Do you remember the bridge to life? You got God over here, man. Got to change it. It's God and people or God and us. It's not God and man, okay? It's God and us, God and people, okay? And so we used to do that. And then we used to have the, the word uh, sin in the middle written. And then at the side of the word sin, we'd have things like doing good, praying, Bible, going to church. And we talk about those things don't get you to God, okay? Now, that is true. But those are illustrations of the bigger doctrine. And the bigger doctrine is that there's nothing that we can do gets us to God. Now, why am I picking up on that? Right now in today's culture, we live in a more um, kind, by and large, a more kind culture. People outside the church who believe that as a basic human being, nothing to do with faith, nothing to do with God, actually from quite a humanistic agenda, it's right to be kind to people. And so you get some amazing things happening. Well, if we say to people, your good works are not going to get you to God, they're going to say, I'm not actually doing it for that reason. And so what used to, be for, used to be a social connection is now a social disconnection. So the bigger thing here that I say is, you know what? There is absolutely... So this is how I phrase it. Um, we, we put on a huge amount of effort into trying to make our life make sense, into life work. Life will only work and make sense when God is in the middle, not when we're in the middle, when we live life according to God's plan. And there's nothing that we can do to get God into the middle. There's nothing that we can do to earn God being in the middle. It doesn't matter what we try. And if you know your friend, then you can say, you know, even praying's not going to work. Our church is not going to work. Or your, your kind acts are not going to work. You can mention those as illustrations, but don't make it the main thing. Talk about the fact that there's nothing that we can do to get God into our lives to make sense. People will resonate with trying to make life make sense. So it's not that we don't explain those, but you, we just need to understand where people are at now. 30 years ago, more people thought that their good deeds would outbalance their bad deeds. We will we, we remember that. So then it was more appropriate then to major on that because that culturally was where we're at. Okay, so that's that bit. Um, God's solution. God's solution is not the cross. Pausing for a heretical gasp. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the way, not my cross is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and life. No one comes to Father but by me. Imagine you only met me at my funeral. How can you make a judgment about what I was like in life? And yet so often in our words of gospel communication, we talk about the death of Jesus and mention nothing about his life. So we need to introduce people to the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus and the resurrection. Don't now imbalance a different way. We need to talk about the cross and the resurrection. Of course do. He died so we could be forgiven. He came back so we could live. But if it was all about the cross and resurrection, why would he have been around for 30 odd years? Why is he around for 30 odd years? Why was he around for 30 odd years? To help us to understand what he's like and what God's like. So let's talk about Jesus. In our words, in our mission, let's make sure we introduce people to Jesus. You can't do that overnight. You have to journey with people. So God's solution is Jesus and our response. And I remember... Um, I often say to people, I introduce the big yes, yes, healthy, maybe. I'm not going to go into how I do it because if you can buy the book and it's all in. Then I've just got a few other things that I need to say in the final few minutes of our session together. But you can use big yes, yes, healthy, maybe when you're articulating the gospel. Um, you can use that. Where, where, where are you? How, how do you feel? Is, it, is this something? Oh, yeah, I'm in for that. Or it's something you need to investigate. Or something you're not sure you're a bit more open-minded with. So using that language. And don't feel you've got a tick, 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 tick. So find out a little bit about the life story of the person, where they're at. So if they're wrapped up with guilt, can I suggest that probably starting to talk to them about the fact that you're a sinner separated from God is not a good start. But maybe talking to them about God's love and that when Jesus was around on the planet, he liberated people, giving a few examples from his life of how he did that is probably a better place. And then I want to challenge you. I'm not going to do anything on this now, but learn a Bible verse. 
to show each of the gospel points. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. You can use that to talk about God's plan. About our problem, I like to use Isaiah 53, verse 6, that says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each has turned to his own way. Just jot the references down, then put the words in. Our effort, you get two points for this one. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. John 3.16, I'll let you have it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not die but will have everlasting life. And the final one about our response, John 1.12, to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I like that verse because it talks about becoming children of God and it talks about receiving and believing. It's got those two words there. By the way, if um, after today you'd like a copy of these slides, give me your email address and um, I'll send you them on a PDF. Then you've got them all with you. So, final thing then, just in these last few minutes, how we say it. Okay, don't forget those keywords, really important. Really work on those. Say it with words they understand. I know somebody who was physically sick because they heard somebody preach that to become a Christian you had to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. They're not stood by going, love that theological symbolism which you've dealt there. They're not doing that, are they? They're thinking, and remember the ignorance that there is. They're, they're not, should become a Christian by washing the blood of a lamb? That's disgusting. That's actually what the person thought. I mean, why would they not think that? Because somebody just said it. They don't understand, do they? The symbolism. We're assuming a knowledge that really isn't there. Say it with the Bible. But don't say like John 3.16 says. They haven't got a clue what John 3.16 is. That's why when I'm preaching an evangelistic message, I'll say something like, oh, there's a lovely little sentence in the Bible that says this. Learn the reference so you can show them where it is. But I don't, people don't know. I don't even use the word, oh, the scriptures say. They don't know what the scriptures are. So let's just say this amazing little sentence that I found in the Bible. Just something like that. That's normal, isn't it? So say it with the Bible. Say it with stories. You communicate the gospel. If you've got little stories that you can use to illustrate, it helps. James 2.10 says if you keep the whole law but stumble at one point, you're guilty of breaking all of it. That seems really unfair. How come just one thing ruin everything? If I invited you for scrambled eggs and threw one bad egg in, that would be enough to contaminate the whole mixture. So all over the world, all over life, there's examples of that truth. So actually, it's nothing different to what the Bible talks about here. So we're using these as a mild apologetic for what we're trying to communicate, but also as an interesting story. And that's why if you can say it with a personal story, i.e. you have thrown a gammy egg in scrambled eggs when you've invited somebody around for lunch, then they love it. Why? Because people are nosy. It's interesting. And it comes from your life. Say it with your personal story. That's your testimony. That's another session completely. But you could talk about the fact how actually you realised that you were in this place, that you weren't a particularly bad person, but you'd done enough to separate you from God.